Hello and welcome to another episode of the Tech.eu podcast, a weekly show where we cover the most interesting and most important stories from the European tech scene. And it's with myself, Neil Murray and Roxanne Vaza. So this week's uh, topics will be Rocket Internet's portfolio value increase. We'll also be talking about the biggest funding rounds uh, from the first half of this year in Europe. And finally, we'll be discussing the Twitter ban in Turkey from last week. So let's get kicked off with Rocket. They're actually doing very well, despite the fact that their stock price has decreased uh, since they went public. Um, looks like they have really just 10 companies that are kind of killing it for them. It looks like actually of the top performers, we have four that are really just crushing it with, uh, we have HelloFresh, uh, we have Namshi, Lazada, and Jumia. All of them kind of in an e-commerce space, obviously, and they're doing over 300% growth in the last year. And what's really interesting, I think, is that you actually have a lot that are actually not even operating in Europe that seem to be performing really well. Yeah, so they're really capitalizing on the, the emerging markets and kind of concentrating on those, it seems. But it's also interesting that they have these like 10 really valuable companies because obviously their, their strategy almost is kind of like a scattergun approach where they involved in so many different companies. You know, I wonder whether to them 10 really good companies that they can kind of bet on is a good result for them or would they expect more? Yeah, that's actually, I think, a very good question. It looks like they even have some... Uh, potentially very early stage companies, but also that, I mean, when you when you look at them in comparison, they almost seem to be underperforming. Thankfully, they do have these 10 strong companies that seem to be kind of leading the way. Um, despite everything, it looks like even those companies that are performing well, they're still making a loss at the moment. And it looks like also in this year, they're planning to launch 10 new companies, of which they've already launched six. They're still kind of staying within marketplace and e-commerce space, uh, but they've got some stuff in the car, lending and buying business. They've got some things for kind of vanity, beauty bookings, a lot of just kind of online agencies and marketplaces that you can actually purchase different types of, you know, whether it's online real estate or offline real estate. I think it's going to be a very interesting business to follow. But Rocket obviously is not the only business that's kind of doing well in Europe. We have a lot of companies that actually have done huge rounds of funding. I don't know if you want to kick that one off, Neil. Yeah, I mean, Rocket actually kind of dominated uh, the biggest rounds in Europe in the first half of the year, especially in the kind of on-demand food delivery space. Um, I think they had three in the top 10. So they're obviously still making a big impact in Europe in terms of being able to back their companies and raising a lot of money. We had Delivery Hero raised $428 million in the first half of this year. Food Panda raised Home24, HelloFresh, so these companies all raised over $100 million. So Rocket Internet clearly still really heavily pushing the money into their companies. Um, but of course, they, I mean, they weren't even the top companies, though. We actually had two in Europe who raised over $500 million, And that was Spotify, who raised 526 which was the biggest funding round in Europe in the first half of the year. And OneWeb, with $500 million, who are putting satellites up around the world. I think it's 600 and something satellites up um, to help bring internet coverage to the whole world. Very ambitious project. And I spoke to one of their investors uh, just after they closed the deal, and he made a joke saying, you know, it's the biggest seed round in history because <laughs> there's a lot of money needed to put 600 satellites up into space. So I'm sure there's going to be some big follow-on rounds to come. 
Well, I think what's funny, I think there's two things actually. Um, geographically, we're kind of very spread out. I think traditionally a lot of people tend to think that certain Western European markets uh, pull all of the big rounds or pull all the funding themselves. And I think it's interesting to look at some of these within the top five rounds, for example. Three of them are out of Germany. Only one is out of the UK. Yeah. Um, that's kind of something interesting to pay attention to. And then I also think the European market gets a lot of heat for not being able to pull our weight in growth rounds or development capital. And I think here you have some terrific examples of companies that are doing just that. Definitely. And that's the interesting thing as well, because I had a look at uh, the first half of the year compared to 2014. And actually, there's already been more $100 million plus deals than there was in the whole of 2014, just in the first half of 2015 alone. So clearly, the market in Europe is maturing still. Um, And like you say, these late kind of rounds or big funding rounds are seemingly more readily available in Europe now. And the average of the 20 largest deals is in the first half of this year is 170 million, which compared to 2014, that was 138 million. So quite a big gap. I think that's like a, a approximately 23% growth from year on year. And that's we're only halfway through. So you would expect some more big rounds. Um, I mean, if it follows the way it has, then all 20 biggest rounds in 2015 will be 100 million plus. Actually, like you say, I thought the picture looked really, really rosy for Europe and it was looking very promising. But just as a, a kind of comparison or a little kind of uh, to dampen our enthusiasm a little bit, perhaps, is I had a look at what the average size of the 20 largest rounds were in the US and Asia in the first half of this year. And the difference is staggering. I mean, I was completely shocked. So as we said, Europe was 170 million, the average of the top 20 largest deals in the first half. Asia was 576.25 million, and the US was 653.9 million. So there's still a huge yeah, kind of yeah. gap. Yeah. But I mean, I guess then I looked at the growth as well. Like I said, there's about 23% growth for Europe, which is actually higher than Asia. So from 2014 to first half of 2015, the average in Asia has actually only gone up by about 10%. Um, but the U.S. are still completely smashing it. They have 45% growth in terms of the, the average of those largest deals. So when we look at it in a kind of global context, definitely we, as Europe, are still kind of lagging behind in those big rounds. But at the same time, there's definitely kind of light at the end of the tunnel. We have seen maturement um, from last year. So I guess just to kind of come back also to, you mentioned in the beginning some of the trends. You saw Rocket kind of going back heavily into investing in some of their own spaces. You mentioned in the food space, we're starting to see a trend. Um, what other kind of trends do you see in terms of who's investing and what kinds of businesses are actually getting funded? FinTech took five of the largest 20. So FinTech dominated in terms of vertical. Also fashion and music also had quite a lot of uh, funding. Uh, obviously the on-demand food spaces I already said. So those were kind of the verticals that were popular. In terms of who was investing, it was quite spread out. We had a lot of the bigger companies involved. Obviously, Rocket Internet was one. But Bailey Gifford, you know, people that perhaps would have looked at PE rounds um, in the past are kind of investing in venture-like deals, but with kind of PE-like money, which is quite interesting. And I'll be honest, I was surprised to see Andreessen uh, on the list for TransferWise, obviously leading that last round that they did. I wasn't aware that actually Andreessen was uh, even investing in Europe. And I think also Google Ventures, who, you know, they launched in Europe not too long ago. And I think, I don't know if Cobalt is one of their first rounds or 
maybe a later round. But I think it's interesting to see, actually, we also have some new players, some younger um, investors as well. I think in Farfetch, we have Frederick Court's new fund. He was previously at Advent. Now he's got Felix Capital. I think it's great to see some of these younger funds also kind of getting a, a head start in some of these bigger rounds. Yeah, definitely. Andreessen, they don't invest in Europe much. Um, I, they did a 20 million round, I believe, in a UK company, either at the start of this year or the end of last. But other than that, I can't remember their other rounds. So they do invest very rarely. Um, but of course, that's good to see. And Google Ventures, I mean, they haven't made too many investments. That's certainly the largest investment they've been involved in. I think they made a couple of kind of smaller ones in the UK before. But they're obviously being kind of very uh, picky in terms of their investments that they make. Um, but it is good to see them getting involved in those big rounds as well, especially, like you say, new players involved in big rounds also gives kind of hope for the future in terms of companies being able to continue to raise those late-stage rounds. Yeah, and I think finally the last comment that I'll just make is that it looks like we also get a lot more corporate VCs that are involved in later venture stages, or maybe it's just specific to these businesses that raised. looks like we have Qualcomm, Salesforce, uh, we have Intel, we have Telefonica, so... I think that's also really interesting that they're kind of coming in at a much later stage. Yeah, definitely. That's kind of touching on what I was saying. It's nice to kind of see like a nice spread of different investors. It's hard to kind of pick out kind of dominant investors in terms of the top 20, perhaps other than Rocket. It's a big wide range, which gives Europe more options in terms of raising those. So definitely good to see those type of companies involved as well. So I guess finally we'll move on to our last topic, which is the Turkey ban on Twitter. It was following last week's suicide bombing. So essentially uh, Turkey put a ban on Twitter and it looks like also a number of other social networking sites to block distribution of those images. Um, it's not the first time that Turkey has blocked, or actually any country has blocked Twitter or social networking sites for distribution of different information. I think Twitter as of 2012 actually published on their blog that they would be blocking or they would be working with governments that wanted, you know, they had a different understanding of what is freedom of speech, freedom of expression. So depending on what the local legislation is, they would have to adjust to it. And I think in Europe, we even have some countries like France and Germany, they have a ban on pro-Nazi content. So anything, I think Germany had actually in 2012, following that Twitter statement, they had to block a neo-Nazi account. France had a similar situation. But going back to Turkey, I think what's really interesting, um, this is not the first time even this year that we're seeing a ban on this type of content through Twitter, but is it even quote-unquote successful? Is it actually doing any good or is it just creating more attention, more awareness to the issue at hand? Yeah, it's a really delicate subject. For me, I'm someone who's always for freedom of speech. I believe that, you know, we should be allowed to kind of express um, our views and opinions, you know, even if I don't agree with them, I still believe that people should have the chance to do that. But again, at the same time, you do have to draw the line somewhere. And for me, I completely understand why this was banned. I mean, that no one in their right mind would really want to see those type of images or to get that. But then the flip side is they give a kind of true reflection on terms of what just happened. 
Um, so it's such a, a kind of delicate subject or a delicate balance to strike, whether you give access to people to be given the truth or to see the true picture or whether you protect them in a way. Um, but in terms of, I guess, it did attract some attention to the issue, like you say. I think they were pretty quick to act. My understanding is that once they had managed to work with Twitter to remove the, the offending images, they were back up online pretty quickly. I think it was within kind of 24 hours. So I think there was some cooperation between the Turkish government and Twitter to resolve the issue quickly, which is good to see. But like you say, this isn't the first time this has happened. It's happened in other countries as well. And it's a question of where do you draw the line? Because it's not always something as, as horrible as a suicide attack or a bomb. It's sometimes something that the government doesn't want people to see. I think it's a really difficult situation for Twitter as well. Um, actually, there's one interesting example from the UK that I found uh, the government could have gone in the same direction as Turkey and actually took a completely different approach. So back in 2011, when you guys had the London riots, I think David Cameron actually made a statement at the time that he would potentially close Twitter because it looked like a lot of the, yeah. the people involved in the riot were using, you know, they were using these different messaging services and social networks to kind of coordinate. And then they actually went the flip way and they ended up launching a Twitter feed calling for the cleanup and they started using Twitter as actually a way to almost end the riot and to get people encouraged to stop craziness that was going on in London and it attracted over 87,000 followers to that one account. Um, so I think it's interesting to see, you know, how are governments, should they be stepping out and blocking these services? You have actually governments like North Korea, China, Iran that have Twitter completely blocked. You have governments, obviously I can understand in the case of a suicide bombing where you have really just violent images, but you, as you mentioned, you have governments that don't want other anti-government information to get out, that they just put a block on these sites as well, and Turkey has been an example. But I think that it's also interesting to see how governments can also embrace some of these services and maybe even use them to their benefit, because no matter what, the youth seems to be turning to these services anyway. Yeah, I think that's a really good point about using it for good in these situations as well. I mean, I guess in this particular situation, it could, you know, it could be used to kind of give updates to people. People may have been using it to find out if that area was safe to go to now, you know, or is my friend safe? So it definitely has its advantages, even when something like that is happening. I actually remember the kind of clean up Twitter account. I'm probably still following it. Um, but I remember it being <laughs> such a cool, uh, cool thing and everyone really got behind that. But it is that kind of communicative aspect as well, which is another reason why people uh, or governments do panic a little bit. At the same time, it was the case that people were using Twitter to organize these little riots all over the place. But at the same time, as I just mentioned in the Turkey case, I was actually using Twitter that day to actually make sure that it was kind of safe for me to go out. You know, I needed to go to the shop or something. And I actually was like looking up the area where I was going to to see if there was any kind of riots happening before I stepped out. It's useful, it's bad. I guess, actually, there just needs to be this kind of dialogue between Twitter and the governments, because Twitter has become such an important tool in this scenario that there actually probably has to be quite close relationships between the company and the government, which is a kind of weird situation. 
So I would love to know actually what our listeners think, especially I think if we have listeners that are in Turkey, how they felt about this last week's ban. And I guess also if we have listeners that, you know, remember like you what happened in the UK or people who were in Germany at the time that they closed that new Nazi count in 2012, similarly in France the same year. Um, if there are people who've been touched, I guess, by Twitter censorship in different locations, I think we'd love to hear about it. Uh, on the comments on the website, tech.eu, on Twitter, at tech underscore eu or even just at our personal accounts so i think we will end it here yeah that's great and if you have any feedback in general on the show about other topics that we should cover also send it in those places as well um, our personal accounts are at neil sw murray on twitter um, and at roxanne vaza uh, and we are neil and roxanne at tech.eu uh, for our email so feel free to give any feedback on the show as well but we'll be back next week Thank you.